Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got an amazing guest. No other than Cal Busman trying to do his best impersonation of him. You may be wondering, who the hell is Cal Fussman? Well, he's a journalist and an author and writer at large for Esquire magazine. And I think best known for their column or um, articles uh, called What I've Learned um, and where he interviews leaders from various fields, which have included Mikhail Gorbachev, Jimmy Carter, Ted Kennedy, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, Jack Welch, Robert De Niro, Clint Eastwood, Al Pacino, George Clooney. The list goes on and on. Today on the show, it may be a strange guest to you guys, but we're going to talk a lot about questions and the power that questions can give you in your jobs and in life. And I can't stress enough the aha moments I had as we were going through this conversation. And even Cal himself had a couple aha moments. So I hope you enjoy this show with Cal Bussman. Well, Cal, welcome to the show. And I feel welcome. <laughs> well, listeners, I'm sure are probably wondering why I'm interviewing you. Because you're usually the interviewer. And you're not a marketer. 
although you're becoming one. We were just talking about that. You haven't written a marketing book. Those are these are usually my guests, right? Marketers, marketer authors, academics. Seth Godin wannabes. Yes, I just had Seth on not too long ago. <laughs> I love Seth. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. But I I wanted to have you on because you're a master of questions, and I feel like personally I think questions are your superpower. Do you think questions are your superpower? I do. I I I, I never looked at myself as a comic book figure, <laughs> but this word superpower seems to be really in vogue of late, <laughs> and I know that it is something that has guided my life back to the time I was seven years old. In fact, I could take you to a single moment in time back in 1963 that basically told me what I was going to do for the rest of my life. If you want to go there. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So (laughs) then in November and sitting in my second grade class, smallest guy in the class, and right in the middle, and the teacher walks out of the room. It's in the afternoon. Miss Jaffe. She comes back a couple of moments later. It's like a different person. She's wearing the same clothes, but she is completely pale. And now she's talking to us in a voice that's so calm. It's a little bit scary. And she tells us that President Kennedy's been shot. And it's, as I mentioned, the afternoon, and everybody's let out of school. We all run home. Everybody goes to television, see what's going on. Back in in those times, everybody turned in, tuned into Walter Cronkite. Mm -hmm. He was seen as sort of the voice of the truth. If you want to know what happened, he told you. And he told us that President Kennedy had been assassinated in Dallas, Texas. And that was really my first meeting with death. Hmm. I didn't, I couldn't recall, I never had been to a funeral, didn't have any, any real recollections of somebody I was close to. Uh, passing away and going to the funeral. And so my parents were, I think, a little concerned that how I would sleep that night, how I was going to react to it. So at the end of the day, they called me over to the kitchen table, sat me down, and said, Cal, look, it's been a terrible day, but we want you to know, look, this has happened before in our country's history. The country is prepared for moments like this. That's why, as you saw... Lyndon B. Johnson, the vice president, took the oath of office. Now he's the new president. And tomorrow morning, when you wake up, you're going to have breakfast just like you did this morning, and things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So get, get some sleep, and things will get better. And so they walk away, and I was just asking my brother about this to see if he got the same talk, because he's three and a half years younger, and he he didn't remember it. Hmm. But I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and now my mind is just going to places. Hmm. Now, a lot of people 
that night were probably thinking, okay, how did this happen? Because there were all these conspiracy theories and the grassy knoll and where did the shot come from? How many shooters? I I wasn't thinking like that. I was thinking about this guy, Lyndon B. Johnson. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know, this guy, I'll bet you he always wanted to be president. (laughs) And now he is the president. Is he happy or is he sad? Because the only reason he's president is because President Kennedy was assassinated. And then I'm thinking, maybe he's scared that they're going to try and kill him too. (laughs) Wow. And I can't wrap my head around this. Like, what, yeah. what is he feeling? Right. So I picked up a piece of paper and a pencil, and I just started writing, Dear President Johnson, <laughs> how does it feel? And I laid out, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you scared? And I, I wished him well. And I folded this paper in threes. I knew where the envelopes were, knew where the stamps were. Back then, you licked them. (laughs) And so I tucked this piece of paper into the envelope, and I addressed it. President Lyndon B. Johnson, the White House, I knew to put my return address in the top left-hand corner, licked the stamp, put it on, and then I just took it with me, and I didn't tell anybody about this. There was no ambition in this letter whatsoever. Right. I wasn't thinking, you know, if I can get to the president here (laughs) one day, (laughs) I may be like a cabinet figure or something like that. I had no interest. I just wanted to know what was this guy feeling like Mm. when he took the oath of office. Right. And there's like a famous picture, like Jackie Onassis is... Later, Jackie Onassis right. is right next to him on the plane. You could just see the look on her face that's just so sad. And on his face, too, on mm-hmm. Lyndon B. Johnson's. And I just want to know, what what are you thinking in that moment? Right. How are you feeling? And so next morning, do have breakfast. And just like my parents said, just like the day before, go outside to play, take the letter with me, and I drop it in the mailbox. (laughs) Now, things had not returned to normal for a long time because I believe that day was the day that the suspect in the murder of President Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald, was Mm -hmm. shot in the police station by a nightclub owner named Jack Ruby. So everybody is just, everybody's head spinning. And then I believe the next day was President Kennedy's funeral, Mm -hmm. And then I don't even realize if I was watching it that day or the photo of John John, three-year-old son, on John John's third birthday, Mm. is out in the street saluting as his father's coffin passes. And so everybody's knocked off balance. This is all anybody's talking about for weeks. But ultimately, life goes on. And I forget all about the letter (laughs) till about six months later when my mom comes racing (laughs) into the apartment holding an envelope in her right hand addressed to me from the White House. (laughs) 
the president. <laughs> it was written by his uh, personal secretary, Juanita D. Roberts. Yeah. And it was very cool in that the tone yeah. was such that it wasn't written to a second grader. Hmm. And I knew this by like the beginning of the second sentence that started, in answer to your query, <laughs> and I had no idea what a query was, <laughs> but pretty soon the apartment was filled with people who wanted to hold the letter from the president and the principal at the school wanted to see the letter. And I went back to school, still the shortest boy in his class, but suddenly a very big man. And I knew at that time that a good question could get you to the most powerful person on earth. Yeah. And it has guided my life ever since. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. And, uh, how you don't it was just pure curiosity it sounds like yeah it started you on that path and that's childhood curiosity my contention is that there were other kids who wondered what does it feel like right the difference was i picked up the pencil and the piece of paper mm-hmm. and asked him but i think we all are endowed with childhood curiosity in fact there have been studies on this that show you ask the most questions, you're the most curious when you're four years old. You can ask your mom up to 300 questions a day. <laughs> you know, the whole yeah. why, 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 why. why, why. <laughs> and then what happens is the next year, you're five, you go to kindergarten. Mm. And what's the first thing that happens? You're told like where to sit. And if you have a question, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah. And I think that is a moment that changes everybody hmm. because we're no longer able to just blurt out our curiosity. And at first you see the kids with their hands up in the air and they're wildly <laughs> waving it. Oh, they're calling me, calling me. But then over time that diminishes. Right. By middle school, you don't see nope. a damn hand up there. <laughs> and even... When you think about how this plays out later in life, you start a job mm-hmm. and you're in a position where you don't know the answer to something or you don't know how something works. And you're in a situation where you got to think, do I ask the question and reveal that I don't know and maybe look stupid? Right. Or do I just play along and try and figure it out as it goes? Yeah. And a lot of people will not ask the question. Mm -hmm. And so you are just seeing the questions diminish over time. And I I just, I did this podcast with Frank Blake, who had an amazing history. He was not only the CEO of Home Depot, but worked for George Herbert Walker Bush as vice president and worked for Jack Welsh. And we went through this whole hour of what questions meant to him. Mm -hmm. And his point was until he became CEO and realized the power in questions, questions were something you want to stay away from in business. Right. Because if somebody... (laughs) Somebody's setting you up. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or politics. Right. Questions were something to be avoided Mm -hmm. at all costs. And I'm listening to this. I was stunned. (laughs) Because to me, questions are like all good. Right. Right. I don't see a bad question. And that really was a lapel-gripping moment for me. (laughs) 
Well, questions like you just said, and Frank, like I did listen to that episode, and I'd encourage all listeners to do that too. That's on your Big Questions podcast. Thanks, thanks for the little marketing yeah, there. Little marketing. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm getting promotion. a love marketing, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, marketers and CMOs in particular, so the chief marketing officer, they largely in the C-suite. You got the CEO who's their boss. You got the CFO who controls the money and the flow of funds, and you've got the CMO. And the CMO tends to be the only person, unless there's a sales leader at that same level, the only person externally focused. Like, where's the market going? How are customers, you know, looking at our business or not looking at our business? Everyone else is kind of more internally focused. CEOs, you know, is everyone marching in the right, right direction? The CFO, what are all our cost controls and where's all the money flowing? Operations leader is how fast are we doing our work? How, you know, how efficient are we being? CMO really is kind of this lonely person focused externally on the business. Some CEOs differ. Some CEOs are a little like that. Interesting. You would use the word lonely. It it is a lonely place. And, and the reason I think it's important to have somebody like you on this show is that Asking questions or can be a way, I believe, to build better relationships with those folks at the C-suite level and understanding what, what, you know, how, to, how to react to those questions that they're getting from those peers. Um, because otherwise it feels like a, an assault. You know, why are we spending this money here? Oh, and, and, and see, the way I look at the marketing people. Yeah. Like, they have the money to give out. Oh, well, maybe in, 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 in your line of work now, yes. Yeah, but yeah. Not, not in the past. Not in the past. I mean, they're, they, once they have the budget, yes. Right. But getting the budget approved, they're, going, they're pitching it just like you're pitching them to sponsor this or that or engage with you. So it's a, it's a interesting, and, and everyone wants to reduce the marketing budget because it's, it's never too big. I mean, I, sorry, it's never too small. It's always too big. And so there's a constant fight to preserve the marketing funds. And to me, that would be the, the, the most foolish thing you can do because that is your outreach to all your customers and your potential customers. Right. So why would you cut that off? Shareholders. Because <laughs> it's money they don't get to keep. But they could get to keep more money if you put it out there. You're a long-term thinker <laughs> in a short-term world. <laughs> it's, it's, You're right. It's simple to me. Yeah, right. how, how are you going to move up if you don't put something into it? Right. It's just right. not going to move up on its own. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Agree. But this art of asking questions, I think, is an interesting skill to, for folks to practice and to learn. And I think, you know, to your point about, you know, um, asking a question that you may not know the answer to and being comfortable with that is something else that I think people need to try to figure out. But my question to you is maybe really around, like, you've been asking questions of top leaders in business around the world, cultural icons, how, how would you advise people to ask a better question? How do I think about preparing to ask the question? Well, what I would do to prepare for an interview, 
if I'm going in to see Richard Branson or Jeff Bezos, Jack Welch, I would read whatever books, magazine stories. I would watch YouTube videos, see them interviewed. And then I would just stop after all the information came in and then sit down with a piece of paper and pen or pencil, just like I did when I was seven years old, and just channel my childhood curiosity and just start writing down questions and not putting any pressure on the questions, not thinking there needs to be an order here, there needs to be a, a plan. Mm -hmm. No, just think like a seven-year-old, six-year-old, a five-year-old, <laughs> right. and just let the questions bubble to the surface and then write them down. And once I start that, I'll write like a couple hundred questions. Right. I'm not asking anybody here to write a couple right. hundred questions, but you can write five good questions, yeah. five questions that you really want to know the answer to, not questions that you already know the answer to, mm. and you think, okay, he knows the answer to, or she knows the answer to, so it's done just as a matter of formality. Right. No. You want the person to have to stop, think, and you'll also watch. Maybe their eyes will go up. Mm. And that tells you that their brain is searching for something that is not on their fingertips. They gotta go deep for it. Right. And if you can find those questions amongst all the ones that you write out, you'll have three, three or five good questions and you'll be prepared. <laughs> now, what I would do at that point, once I had my 200, I would not put them carefully on a pad with the number in front of them, one, two, three. <laughs> I would actually walk around with these questions and just read them and repeat them for a few hours hmm. so that they were going into my head. Yeah. And then after that, I would rip them up because what I didn't want to do, and look, everybody's different. Yeah, First yeah, thing yeah. Larry King told me about <laughs> interviewing was be yourself. Yeah. What works for Larry King may not work for Oprah Winfrey. And what works for Oprah Winfrey may <laughs> not work for Charlie Rose. Right. Everybody's got a different style that's suited to them, mm -hmm. plays to their strengths. So for my, my strengths relied in basically treating my head like it was an old fashioned jukebox. So all these questions are like little records up there. Right. And I am not playing these records until the subject hits the button for that particular record. Mm. So what this is forcing me to do, and this is the key component here, is listen. Yeah. Because somebody with the pad in front of them right. can just basically look down wait to the person that answers question right. 13 and say, okay, here's question 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not going to take you to a deeper place. Right. And it's going to be off-putting 
to the person being interviewed, you're telling them, okay, this is an interview, as opposed to this is a conversation where we want to both take this to a deeper place where we can both learn. Because if the subject is learning, mm -hmm. they're going to want your next question because they're going to want to know more. Right, right. So by having all these questions in my head like a jukebox, I'm then able to really listen. And then by just simply listening, when the person gets done, they're clicking the B16 to get the next question. Right. It's up there. It's just waiting to be needed. Hmm. And then it quickly comes out. So I'm prepared to improvise. Got it. So simply, and anybody listening can do this with three questions. The only difference is you really got to listen because you're the, the answer you get may require a new question you got to invent on the spot. Right. But that's the whole process. Yeah. You have to be prepared to improvise. Hmm. You talk about this jukebox and pressing the button. Have you ever had somebody on the other end that only wants to press the same button? And you have to get them off of that button? Not, not really, because I, I still am looking for ways to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. Once we've hit the place where I want to go, and, and generally with what a lot of people don't understand about questions is that a lot of people think, I'm going to ask one question and then get an answer and then go to the next question. Mm -hmm. it, you hardly ever get the answer that you're looking for in the first question. Right. You then have to start asking questions to get to the gold. Right. You're digging for gold. Right. Once you got the gold, well, then you got to go to a different place because hmm. you already got the gold. The gold. <laughs> so it's sort of like at that point, if... Once the gold has been reached, the jukebox is, box is kind of reset. Mm -hmm. And But there's something about the gold that will trigger your next, next question. question. Got it. So it always is, is an easy flow right. from one to the next. If you're, that's a, if you're me and you're doing it my way. Some right. people, a lot of people ask questions to confront. Yeah. And so I don't know that my style would work for them. They, they do it their way, and, and hopefully it works for them. Right. Uh, but I'm not out to hurt anybody. I'm out to actually help them learn about themselves <laughs> while I'm learning about them. Right. And the idea being that by continually asking these questions and asking them to look deeper into themselves, they want more questions. They want to know more about themselves. They're thinking of things they haven't thought of. And it's developing a trust over a half an hour, 40 minutes. So after 45 minutes, you could ask a question that you would never have wanted to ask in minute two right? because it would have shut the interview down. Mm-hmm. It would have seemed too close, or, or where's this going? Right. At that point, if once you establish that trust, then you can go to really deep places. Hmm. So it's now that I'm starting to talk about this, there there are deep levels to it. 
It's not something that you're going to master in a day. It, it takes a while to practice it and see where you could have made, played a different piece of music. Right, right. To go to a, a <laughs> to get the gold. Yeah. Uh, and you walk out of the interview and you realize, damn, I should have played C69 at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got such an uh, artful way of talking about how to get layers and layers deeper and get to that gold. How do you warm them up? Like, what what's the first question out of the gate? What type of question should that be? A lot of people want the magic question. Right, right. And it reminds me that I was talking to this uh, cardiologist in the Bronx, <laughs> and he was saying how people come up to him and they say, is there like a pill that I can take <laughs> to just override all this stuff with diet and exercise? A, a magic pill <laughs> that I could take that's going to make my health better. And the doctor says, yes, there is. <laughs> it's called broccoli. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And unfortunately, the uh, the magic question answer is, is kind of similar uh, because there is no one question that I show up with to ask everybody that gets a response. What's going on is I'm walking in to meet somebody mm-hmm. and my ears are always on high alert for whatever I'm hearing, you know, you know, I'm already prepared because I've gotten my 200 questions. Any one of those could be number one. Mm. I've already prepared them. Right. Or maybe those 200s don't apply, but now I'm meeting them in a certain place. Mm. And maybe I see a photo in the office that strikes me. And so it's only natural to walk over to it and ask like, wow, that's interesting. What's going on here? (laughs) And now, you're in a conversation that that person could not have prepared for. Right. But maybe, look, they put that photo up there for a reason. It has a significance. Yeah. yeah. So you may be tapping into something very, very deep hmm. that you could not have prepared for because you didn't know the photo was going to be there. Right. So, again, it goes back to being prepared to improvise in the moment and just accept the fact that we are both here and now in this moment. And this question should be here and now of this moment. Right. As opposed to thinking of a question two weeks in advance. Although this, this will work. If, if I have a question <laughs> that I thought of two weeks ago, I can walk in and say, you know, this thing's been on my mind for Two weeks now. I, I gotta. I gotta start this way, and now the person's curious. Right? Why is this guy thinking for two weeks right. about me? Yeah. And what is this question? <laughs> so it's all about opening up a door, hmm. and the the question is, what's going to open up the door? Is it going to be a photo? Is it going to be something that's been on your mind? Is it going to be something that the receptionist said on the way in? Is it going to be 
having an interpreter between you and just asking about how this how this works right having a third person between us it varies every time i don't think i've ever asked the same first question twice it's always unique to the individual. always and that makes it a work of art if the moment i go in and i make i use the same question twice it's not art anymore yeah then it's it's like rocky 2 <laughs> <laughs> star wars 6 you right, know right. <laughs> you know look and I, I, star wars is great but right. it's it's is it really the same as the first one? Right. It's yeah. always the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've had the luxury of interviewing all of these famous people. How did the interview itself or the art of asking these questions, did they, did they lead you to, you know, um, do you feel like you have relationships with the people that you've interviewed? I made a big mistake because... A lot of people at the end of the interviews said things to me. I remember Al Pacino saying, hey, don't be a stranger. Right. He's opening the door Door, for us to have a friendship. And I think that the way I saw journalism at the time Mm -hmm. was something that kept me from diving into the friendship Mm. only lately have i allowed myself a chance to do that and it it probably hurt me early on that i didn't Mm. actively go out to seek these these friendships because there are a lot of people like that as soon as they find somebody who is in a position of either power or celebrity they'll glom on i was the opposite (laughs) very much like when i wrote that letter to president johnson i there was no right ambition in it Mm -hmm. so i really had no ambitions that way but it was just stupid because when they said that, they were just reaching out to be friendly. Right. And I could have gone to a ball game <laughs> and got to know their families. Why would I treat them differently than I did when I was traveling around the world and people said, come back? Right. And when I could, I did. Right. I, I don't know. I'd have to look back into myself to understand why I did this, but I think part of it was just the way I was trained as a journalist Mm -hmm. to treat it as work right as opposed to a friendship where if you're friendly with somebody well what are you compromising here Mm. it was always and we were talking about this before (laughs) like journalism school put up walls oh yeah yeah between me and a lot of things which now those walls don't even exist. And yet when I look over <laughs> to just walk across the territory, I bump into them and they're not even there. They're mm. just there in my mind. Yeah. And it really pisses me off now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could go back in time, is there, you talk about Al Pacino, but is there, uh, is there anybody that you're like, man, 
I really would like to hang out with that person a little bit more. You know, Jack Welsh took me to lunch after the interview. Mm. And you know, this is a great marketing story. Yeah. All right. This is about marketing, right? <laughs> so I go to interview him right after he left General Electric as CEO. Yeah. And so he can be loose. Uh, I believe this is right around the time his book came out. Okay. So he's publicizing yeah. his book. He can be loose. He's happy. <laughs> and we sit down and we start talking, and it's a great conversation. <laughs> and I don't know exactly how. See, he's a very curious guy. Yeah. He knows how to ask questions. <laughs> so he starts asking me questions. And then I start telling him stories about, like, getting in the ring with Julio Cesar Chavez uh, when he was junior welterweight champ of the world, 87-0 and 0 with 75 <laughs> knockouts and swimming over tiger sharks. And, and Jack is now getting transfixed because Jack understands, like, the essence of people. He's very curious about, mm -hmm. and I don't understand what's going on, but in his mind, what's going on is, don't forget, this guy was like the captain of his schoolyard baseball teams when he was 12 years old. Right. He was, he would be the guy picking the sides. Yeah. So he's always like looking right. for, okay, where does this guy belong on my team? Right. Right. And he says to me, I said, Jack, like I'm telling my stories, but I like, I got to get your story, right. your story to get the interview done. And he says, okay, okay. Well, like, great. I'll tell you what, afterward, let's go get lunch. All right. So I said, great. So I come back to asking him questions. The interview is over. And I, the whole thing's supposed to take like an hour and 15 minutes. Now we've, we've just, the interview's gone more than two hours. And now we're going out to lunch. And as we're leaving the house, I'll never forget this moment. He stops and he turns to me and he says, Cal, if I was still at GE as CEO, you would, you would not have gotten out of this door without joining our marketing team. <laughs> now, you would have to see the reaction on my face. I didn't see it. I only felt it. Yeah. But what I felt like was Robert De Niro <laughs> in Taxi Driver. Like, you talking to me, me? Jack? <laughs> you talking to me? Because to me, and man, your audience is going to go crazy in this moment. <laughs> I, I got to admit it. And I look, I respect everybody on the other end right. that's listening here. Yeah. I know what it takes like, in order to get to that level. Right. I know that people probably spent their whole lives working to become part of Jack Welsh's marketing team. Right. Right? But... You got to understand, like, I'm out writing stories about training for six months to get in a ring with Julio Cesar Chavez and traveling the world right. for 10 years without a home. And I'm trying to think, yes, at that point, I had already been the sommelier at Top of Windows of the World restaurant, yeah. Top of the World Trade Center, right before the planes came in. That was my life. I kind of saw myself as like a cross between Marco Polo and Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, but that's the way I like to see myself. And here, Jack Welsh is looking at me and saying, hey, you belong on my marketing team. And I'm, 
you're talking to me, Jack. <laughs> and he immediately looks at my face and he sees what, what has happened. Right. I mean, like, this didn't need to be discussed. <laughs> he starts like laughing. And he said, Cal, look, I, I'm just telling you, I've been doing this a long time. I look at people and I, I know where they belong on my team. team. Yeah. And you belong in my marketing department. <laughs> and I, like, I was in shock at that moment. And he just kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, come on, let's go get lunch. <laughs> and so I would like laugh at this story. But to, to get to the point, like after he wrote me a nice note, and I think it was in a way an invitation, like stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was... Let me give you money. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he, did, he, he didn't no, have there the was power nothing. at that time. No, it, was, yeah, it yeah. wasn't even about that. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. It was very much... Just wants you on his team. Or, or yeah. like, like, we just spent three hours together. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. good came out of it. Right. Let's see where else this, this can things go. can go just by having a conversation. Right. And... <laughs> I, I remember I sent him back a note, but I, I never tried to leverage that to say, like, Jack, what, like, what can I do with this? Right. right. No, I just went back to doing what I've always done. Mm. And now I'm thinking, well, what, what if I would have just said, you know, Jack, I've been thinking about what you said. I don't understand it at all, but maybe <laughs> I'm missing something here. Right. What? What did I miss? But again, you got to realize that at that time in my life, I'm going from interviewing Jack Welch to Jeff Bezos to Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. I think that's and, a pretty good gig. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. <laughs> right. So why is he locking me up in a, in a conference room in a marketing department? Right. This is crazy. This is crazy. But only later, hmm. it took, Wow more than 10 years uh, for a pivot hmm. moment where, you know, after interviewing hundreds of these icons, I was asked by Summit. You ever heard of Summit, Summit at Sea? I have, I have, yeah. It's a, a group of entrepreneurs who come together to lift each other up. Hmm. And one of the founders, Elliot Biznow, reached out and said, would you like to come speak on our cruise ship? Sorry. Have, just a real quick aside is I think I interviewed his brother. Austin? Who's a, Austin, who's in a band, Magic Giant. Yeah, yes. you did. You did. I didn't put the two and two together. I didn't realize they were and brothers. Not only that, at Summit at Sea, Austin's band was playing. Oh, wow. It was they my, are unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. They've been great. on the podcast of all things. Too. All of them. Yeah, yeah. Dan Bricky too. Dan Bricky, yeah. Lee. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Okay. I, sorry. You just made the connection. Yeah. So, so basically, Elliot says, "Would you like to come?" And I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And speak. Yeah. So I, I said, fine, I'd never really given a speech like this before. didn't know how it worked. And it's wild because I'm thinking, you know, the boat is filled with speakers at all times. Mm. It's not just one speaker. There's 4,000 entrepreneurs, and there, there may be 20 speakers going at once. Yeah. And I'm at the, I kept a very low profile. Uh, if you read Esquire magazine, you, you saw me mm -hmm. every month. And then in January, I wrote the whole issue of just these What I've Learned columns. But didn't go on TV, didn't really right. do radio interviews. You were you, the byline. Yeah. yeah. You didn't see my face. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm thinking, okay, I get a weekend in the Caribbean and I give this speech for an hour and 17 people are going to show up and that's how it would be. So I go to the room and they ha talk about marketing. Right. Talk about marketing. <laughs> they have really marketed the shit out of this. <laughs> you know, the the line, the marketing line was like, decoding the art of the interview with Mikhail Gorbachev and Donald Trump <laughs> and Robert De Niro and Mahomet, as if you're going to walk, walk in and Gorby's going to be right yeah. there. <laughs> and, you know, and at the end of it with Calvary. <laughs> but people were very curious. Right. And it goes back to this yeah. essence of the interview. They wanted to know how to ask better questions. Yeah. Absolutely. They want to know how to hire better through asking questions. Mm. And so I show up in this room, and it is packed. <laughs> I got, not only is every seat taken, but there are people, like, sitting cross-legged in the aisles. It's <laughs> packed to the back of the room. Wow. And, and the crowd is surging in. They're actually pushing me back to the wall of the front of the room and there's a long line out the door like at a nightclub they can't get in wow and i get up and i'm telling the stories of my experiences with these people and get a standing ovation at the end that's phenomenal and i'm and, not, and there's a long line of people waiting right. to see me people who want to know how to use questions to hire better like, how can we use questions to improve our business right And one of the people who was watching in on this, his name was uh, Roman Sunder. Hmm. He was, uh, he is the head of Patau, which is huge marketing conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, you got to come keynote at my conference. <laughs> And I'm just thinking to myself, somewhere out there, Jack Welch <laughs> is laughing his ass off. <laughs> I have just been asked to speak to keynote with Mayor Bloomberg. Yeah, right, right. At a marketing conference. I think I saw this video on your website, and I watched the very end because they panned to the crowd. And I'm sitting there, and I freeze frame, and I'm like, 
that's Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. <laughs> and then over to your left was Raja Rajmanar from MasterCard. That's that's correct. And I was like, I want, I, I wanted, it was a little blurry. I was like, I need to go through and see who all are the faces that have already heard from you. But it, it was an amazing crowd. Yeah. It, well, Not to mention was, the summit with this packed crowd yeah, no, that you, you had. You had at, at Patau, you have all like the chief marketing right. officers there. And I get down, they all love me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you found your home. Well, this is, you know, Jack was right. Yeah. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, this wall that had been placed in front of me in journalism school that said, you're a writer Mm. and you're going to have the life that you want because you're going to go out and cover the events you want to be at. You're going to interview the people you want to meet. Right. But if you want that, then you cannot go on the other side of the wall. Because if you go to the other side of the wall, then everything that you so desire will be taken away from you, as well as your sense of self-respect, the the way others will see you. You will be nobody Hmm. if you go to the other side of the wall. Nobody in in the world that you want to be seen in. Right. They're not saying if you go to the other side of the wall, maybe they'll like you over there, but they turned it into sort of a tribal uh, way of looking at things. And you don't want to be a member of that tribe, do you? (laughs) You're in this tribe. Right. And only much later, when I met a a young guy named Alex Benayan, he just dropped out of school. Uh, It's kind of a a long story, but you can read about it in a book called The Third Door, Hmm. uh, which I mentored him through. Uh, he, I'll, I'll tell a little of the story. Yeah. So he, he grows up uh, the son of immigrants, uh, Iranian immigrants or Persian immigrants, and they left uh, being Jewish right after the Ayatollah came to power, mm. just got out of the country. And so Alex is coming up in a family like many immigrant families where from the time that he was a kid, he was basically told, you will be a doctor. Hmm. That is your mission in life. To the point where when he's in just starting out school and it's Halloween, like they send him out to trick or treat wearing scrubs. (laughs) Like that's how this was inculcated (laughs) in his head. Wow, yeah. He gets to USC freshman year, he's got a big stack of biology books in front of him, looks over at the books and realizes, um, it's not me. Yeah, it's not me. And it's mm. a life crisis mm. because he can't even go home and tell his parents who are scraping up this money right. to put him in this prestigious university mm. that I'm not going to be who you want me to be. And it forces him to think about the meaning of the word success. Like what's successful? Right. Who is successful? How did those people who are successful become successful? So he writes out a list, like, Bill Gates is successful. What was Bill Gates doing when he was 18 that made him successful? Lady Gaga was successful. What was she doing? And he starts to go to the library to try and find out what made them successful when they were his age, and he can't 
find the answers. And so he decides to write the book that he's looking to read hmm. by going out to interview Bill Gates and asking him. And he's thinking, ah, this will be simple. I'll right. just write Bill a letter and tell him I'm a student yeah. and I need some advice. And he'll see, he'll see me. <laughs> Innocence. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you know what? When you read the book, you'll see what came out of his whole journey. Uh, I didn't, he did not know how to ask questions when he started, did not know how to write a story when he started. And I met him, uh, I would say, maybe 40% into the journey, mm. by which time he had already met Elliot Biznow, who was running Summit, yeah. and Elliot had become his mentor. And I sort of jumped in and spent a few hours a night with him, maybe three nights a week for years. Hmm. I was sort of guiding him through the book, although I told him I would not write a word of it. Right. I would. I was kind of like Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to go out there and fight with him, but I could uh, advise him from the sides. Yeah. And it was a it was a wonderful experience. It was Alex who introduced me to Elliot, who put me on that stage. Wow. Yeah. And that set this whole process in motion. Yeah. But to get to the point. Uh, Alex and I are t talking uh, about the, just where the world is at. Mm. Because in my mind, I'm still living back, or my mind is still back, where there's a wall. Mm -hmm. And to Alex, there is no wall. Right. Like creating something, marketing, it, it's all the same. Right, right. And he's looking at me when I'm telling him, no, no, you don't understand, there's a wall here. He's saying, there is no wall. <laughs> And so we'd have these great conversations, and it would force me. It, it was almost like he took the first hammer to the wall and just smashed into it. Mm. And then I looked at it and said, oh, I'm like, there, <laughs> there is no wall. There is no wall. He's right. <laughs> oh, man. The emperor has no clothes. That's right. <laughs> and the, the amazing thing, it's taken me three years now. <laughs> to just take a sledgehammer and knock down every last vestige of this wall that existed only in my mind. Right. I mean, I would have to go, uh, I would be speaking at masterminds or whatever, and mm -hmm. I would literally find myself with one of those gigantic pads in front of the room explaining this to people. It was like my form of therapy, <laughs> like to business people who are all looking at me like, you're nuts, I like, Cal. You're speaking now. You have a new business. Right. <laughs> this is not you back in 1978. Right. This is business. Right. You got to market. Right. You got to promote. <laughs> you got to sell. Right. And all this had, had been pushed away from me mm. at, at such an early age that only now, decades later, am I having to become the person that I could have been mm. at 18 right. if I had come up in this landscape. Right. But it's, it's sort of, it, it, this is the journey that I'm on is like amazing because <laughs> I, everything that I felt no good at, I've had to somehow master to getting to just plugging the <laughs> wires into a Zoom mic to do a podcast. Right. And then you realize, oh, 
I can check the levels. Right. <laughs> but be, exactly. until you actually look at it, do it. It's foreign to it's you. It's foreign. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And every step of the way mm-hmm. has been like this. So now it's, okay, YouTube videos. <laughs> and the, the bottom line here is that Jack Welch was right. right. I certainly could think like a mark if a marketer mm-hmm. and if i had been put in his conference room you're damn right i would have thought like a marketer right <laughs> right it, it's only because i was not allowed to do this that i didn't do it mm. and now i don't i wouldn't call myself a marketer but i could easily say that i love marketers <laughs> I speak their language. You and do. And they, they talk mine. You do. And I only want to get better at it. Yeah. And now I get calls from them to come in and speak. Yeah, Now, yeah. it's not really about the marketing. It's about the questions. Yeah. It's exactly what Jack Welch saw. Right. That's what they want to know because they know that I don't have any expertise in the actual, like, working with the analytics and the numbers. Right. But they understand that... That gold that Jack Welch saw could work for them. Right, right. And so it's a nice match. Well, I think, I mean, there's a metaphor in what you're talking about. I don't know if you've made the connection, but I'm making the connection as you're talking, which is this wall that you've you've had between content or the creation of content and then getting it out into the world. Marketers have a similar wall. They do? Yeah. Yeah, whether it's oh man, oh man. <laughs> now don't don't put no walls on me now. I just I just spent three years knocking it down, man. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> no, well, but what I mean by that is that they've got the curiosity blocker. They're supposed to have the answers, but they forgot that how to ask the questions. Wow, that's scary. It is. It is. But it's why you're here today. This is an enlightening moment for me. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you talk about, you started with it like a superpower. Yeah. But it, it's, you don't realize you have a superpower when it is normal. It's who you are. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of to, you. Like, just ask the question. <laughs> right, right. But I, I really have to think more about this. I have to understand more about how the marketers are thinking Mm -hmm. because if I can understand that, then I can more easily enable them to access their childhood curiosity. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was thinking about this the other days. An amazing thing happened to me. This happened to me a lot now. (laughs) And it's only because the wall is now down. Right? Yeah. Speaking at a hospital and hospitals, we don't realize it. They have problems telling their story. Now, you pick up, you. I I was just thinking about this the other day, I pick up USA Today, and there's front page story, Mm -hmm. top right column, and it's about like nurses falling asleep (laughs) at VA center. And think about that. Think about all of the things that hospitals across this country and world did for people the day before that, while that newspaper was being put out. Right. And what was the one thing, 
the one story that came out at the top of the column, at the top of the paper, right. nurses falling asleep, right? <laughs> right. And so I go to speak at this hospital, and it was great because what I love is when they allow me to sit in on the presentations before. Right. Now, this is, this is probably what's where my curiosity comes in and separates me from other speakers who might like show up 10 minutes before mm-hmm. they give their speech, right. they wave goodbye, <laughs> and they're out the door. I, I, I actually want to stay the whole day right. and listen to what's going on. Yeah. And this wonderful woman, like the head of nursing, gets up. <laughs> And she's talking about how, like, every day like, there is a preemie, a baby that's been born way ahead of its time, mm-hmm. that fits in the palm of a nurse's hand. Yeah. Every day that, because of the technology and the care mm-hmm. and everything that goes into the, the hospital, will come out well right. and grow and live a normal life, it's right? Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and so, and she's talking about this as this right. is like a routine part of my day. Yeah. And I get up and I say like, hold on here. <laughs> this ain't normal. <laughs> and like the reaction in the room is, wow, what, what we're doing isn't normal. Right. <laughs> and it becomes like a rallying cry from the hospital. Right. <laughs> Look at what we're doing. Right. And this is this is like a big mission for me now, right? Because I feel like I gotta let the people in the hospitals know hmm. that they have to number one be telling their stories, if only to listen to them themselves, so that they can realize that, like. The job is not just go in and move from patient to patient to patient, and you got so much. There's so little time and so much to do. You just get to the end of the day and then, oh, I got to go pick up my kid. And and you forget. Yes. I've got a baby in the palm of my hand. Right. Right. That is going to have a long life because of me. (laughs) And it's just occurring to me that the ordinary things that my curiosity is doing is a revelation to other people. <laughs> well, you're breaking them out. You're breaking them out of and their coma that they're in. You, you think of this, okay? I mean, the same day that I was given that speech, my wife had a procedure done. Mm-hmm. And she's very leery of these procedures. She had to be anesthetized. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, if a nurse or somebody from the hospital went over to her and just introduced themselves and told her a story, a very short story in Mm. less than a minute about something amazing that had happened in that hospital the day before or the week before. Right. I know it would have made my wife smile. Yeah. It would have made her relax. And I also know from talking to the the father of open heart surgery, Dr. Michael DeBakey, when people were relaxed Mm. before they went into surgery, he felt they did better. (laughs) Wow. And so I know <laughs> that simply by telling their stories yeah. better, that the, it, was, it would help hospitals across the board. 
and it was a very simple thing for me to see just by listening. Right. Which goes back to that word, listening, listening. because most people do not listen. Right. And I'm really coming to this place where you, you've just enlightened me. I, I'm sure if I sat in on marketing conferences, I would, would make, I would have the same yeah, revelation. Yeah. It's right here. Yeah. It's right in front of right. you. Right. And this is, this is the way I got to start thinking. And now that I'm telling this, <laughs> I'm doing the marketing. <laughs> I am becoming exactly who Jack Welch thought I would be or I could be. Thank you, Jack Welch. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show. I've got a couple questions, and only because I ask them of everyone, I need to run through these questions. So Go ahead. But I appreciate the insight and the, the level of depth, I think, that we got to today about breaking, great breaking down these walls. You did a fantastic job. Uh, that says, that's the best compliment I've got at least this year, if not long, longer than that, to hear you say that. So thank you. But now the boring questions. <laughs> you can't, you can't start a question like, man, look, we just had, this is my hope, but we just had this wonderful, wonderful time. I know. And now you say, now yeah, the, the boring, boring questions. questions. I know. Right. Well, well, you know what? You may be under promising and over delivering. Well, we'll see. Let's we'll see. see. We'll see. So, see. so right. this is about marketing. So All right. I always ask, are there brands, causes, or companies that, you're taking notice of these days and it could be anything you know what yeah that's a great question mm. because i am just at that point what you know this is what happened <laughs> so I, I i started this podcast a year ago yeah and uh i was very fortunate to have some big advertisers right out of the box yeah yeah and uh the only thing about it is when i would I was making up the ads, and they they said, do whatever you want. They right. were great. That's awesome. But I did have to do one thing. I had to say, like, at the end of the ad, and for 10% off, right. go to uh, and uh, offer code CALFUSMAN. And right. I just, something inside me just realized that's not, a Cal commercial, right? To to say offer code, code. or go to right uh, backslash fussman, <laughs> and I'm I'm about to start with some new advertisers, uh -oh. right? Yeah. So here's what's happening: I'm at this conference called I'm speaking about storytelling mm. at a conference called Conscious Capitalism, mm. and it's about companies that. Obviously, every company wants to do well with the bottom line, mm -hmm. but they think in terms of a sense of real purpose. Like, yeah. what what is this company's mission uh, in the world to help the world be a better place? Mm -hmm. Going beyond the brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And they are meeting a lot of fascinating people because all these people are driven to make the world better. Right. right? And some of the people there... I brought their product with them uh, to share, mm. right? And so there is a stack of like, sweatshirts, 
they were like they think they were like wrapped I think they were wrapped in plastic or whatever but you could just go over and and if you're part of the conference right. get a sweatshirt and I feel this sweatshirt and mm-hmm. it is the like the softest hoodie <laughs> that I have ever felt and I I'm putting it on I'm saying like, man this is unbelievable <laughs> and I then meet the guy who brought the sweatshirts, sweatshirts yeah. to the conference, <laughs> and the company is called Sportique, S P O R T I Q E. There's no U there, right? The guy's name's Matt, and we start talking, and I'm telling him, Matt, this <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I, I and it turns out that uh, there are like a, a a lot of like famous people. Who wear that. wear wear this huh. sweatshirt, and the, the, like the upshot of this is that Sportique is now going to be like sponsoring big questions. Oh, wow. uh, we're just starting out with yeah. it. We're going to see yeah. how it, how it works, uh, but I am so happy that it happened that way because I didn't even know. Right. It's just genuine reaction. That's right. I just put this hoodie on and I said, man. And and now that they had sweatpants attached and now like I'm sleeping in these sweatpants. My manager sleeps in these sweatpants. I like, I I have no problem. Like there's no wall at all because I would tell you, man, you're looking for the softest sweatpants imaginable. Check out Sportique. (laughs) And so it became very natural Yeah, yeah. that we're going to see what happens is we're going to start it for a short period, Yeah. but you won't hear go to offer code Fussman. You're just going to hear stories about these clothes and maybe (laughs) stories about the people who wear these clothes and we're going to see where it goes, but it's a good answer to your question because it is a brand that is completely on my mind. Yeah. And I know that putting those putting those threads on are gonna make people feel great. <laughs> so I love it. I yeah. And you know what? I mean, listen to me. I'm mocking it. <laughs> you are a pitch man now. <laughs> well I got I got two more questions. One is, we were talking about this before we started recording a little bit about the future of marketing and you know, where do you think marketing going is going? And what you just described, the story of what you just described of kind of this blend of content creation and brands integrating themselves into that, whether through sponsorship or through just genuine word of mouth that happens in the content creation process. Uh, that's one thing I think that's coming in the future, this blurring of, so here's, of everything. He, here's my question to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Like, could it be that I'm on the cutting edge here? You could be. You no, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this serious to you. I'm, I'm looking you in the eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what I'm saying is, like, all, 
all the marketing seems to be driven by these numbers so that when I say use the offer code Fussman and get 10% off, they have a direct line. They know exactly how many people called in to get the 10% off. And then they can come back and say, okay, this is how many people that your podcast brought to us. Well, I I do think you're on the cutting edge, and but I'll explain it because it's more than just making the link and making it measurable because that stuff's been around for a long time. But what I think is cutting edge about what you're doing is, frankly, your biggest weakness in your own mind of this wall that's been up has preserved the integrity and the creativity wow. of your content. Wow. Oh man. And that's your gold. That like that is if you can and then this authentic pitch man's part of yourself that's this new part of yourself. You've connected that to this gold. Wow. Oh that's, man, I am so grateful for this conversation. <laughs> no, this is yeah. way look early on with the podcast we were offered some like huge companies mm. that I just said no. You were smart. Well, I, I would. I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. You're right. It would be like, it would be a complete sellout mm. for me to endorse a product that I don't use. Right. So really, what I came away with, and this actually comes back to the first question that wasn't so boring at all. Right. What What I learned was that ultimately. If you're going to endorse something, mm. you better love it. <laughs> and if you're working in, in a marketing department, you should love what your company's producing. It shouldn't yeah. be a job to you. Right. You should be living this stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it is just a job, then I, like, I can understand it. If you need health insurance, okay, that's cool. Right. But it, unemployment's pretty low right now. You, you could find... A company that puts out a product that you are fully behind. Right. So I, I, I think you're right that my heart is definitely in the right place. Yeah. And I had to go through this journey. Mm-hmm. And and look, I, I I should say right off the bat, one of those initial sponsors. I love these guys, ZipRecruiter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And met them all, and. I thought they do a great service, but the bottom line is like I'm. I got a company of like there's like me and Kevin the manager and Golly in the office. I'm, I'm I don't I'm not hiring people every day. Right. So I, I'm not at a point where I can use it mm-hmm. now. When I'm in, when I'm interviewing people who are using it and they are advertising it, like it's fantastic. Right. But like for now. I'm in a hoodie, and it's a great hoodie, and I can feel really good, good about, about that. Yeah. And I think that's essential. Yeah. And the the more I'm thinking about this, the more because I've got a few other sponsors that we're working with, mm-hmm. and each of them has that quality to the fact that one of them, one of them, I'm not sure how much money they have to pay. I don't I don't know, <laughs> like in their budget, right? And. Uh, if I had to do it, like even, even for free, I think I would do it for him. You know, you just recorded that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I would. That's I amazing. I would. Because that's, that's, they're doing something great. Yeah, 
and we can always we can always work out a deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him after this conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna let him know. Like I know. Look, he's trying to do something that's 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 big, and is, I you know I don't know I don't know what he can do. Right. But it's something I could get behind. Yeah. And and if it really worked, this is really, <laughs> this is really, man, I'm talking about this now. Now we're talking marketing. Because if I can help him do what he wants to do, it's going to do a great service for the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to feel great about it. And you know what? Even if I didn't get paid, I could walk around saying, hey, you see what I just did here? <laughs> do you see what I helped somebody do? Yeah. That's going to come back to me in a million ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> wow. No, this this is this is the way I'm I'm thinking. It's got to be something I'm completely committed to and want to see succeed. Yeah. And will be proud of when it does succeed mm. and I'll know I put my time into something that was really worthwhile and this is my thinking going forward I just got to figure out a way to always be able to do it without the backslash offer codes right because that doesn't fit, feel yeah. authentic yeah. to me yeah 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 well, it makes sense it makes sense well last question and it's more about what's up what's next for you what what are the, your projects i know you got more podcasts coming well, out new yeah. sponsors well this uh, i guess pretty soon it you'll be able to sort of see this this marketing side come mm-hmm. out because it it will come out in commercials on the podcast mm-hmm. where I, I'll be interviewing people and it will be stories, Very just cool. pure stories <laughs> and nothing more than that. You, you sh- people should just enjoy these or get something from it as if it was pure content, pure journalism. Yeah, yeah. And if they want to get this, the sweatshirt and then walk, sleep in the sweatpants... Well, great. <laughs> All power to them. So there's that. And I, I, I'm taking this. I, it's really becoming mission-based. I want to go to as many hospitals as I can to show them the power in their own stories. Yeah. So in a sense, I, I guess you could say, Jack Welch would say, you're helping them market it themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and more than that. And... So I'm going to try to ramp up the speaking in a way that is going to do great things for people. And the podcast is going to take me into the future because as a journalist, I've realized this. I've always been looking back at the past and trying to explain why. Mm. Maybe now that this whole marketing side is coming in, I need to think about what's going to happen right right and i think you're going to see this <laughs> uh, come into my podcast you're going to see it in all my interviews now i want to see where we're going and another thing that's happening this is all tied together right uh, companies are asking me to help them tell their stories now in the old days when i started that would have been heresy uh, yeah right right Right. What? Satan's work. That's right. 
And the, the CEO of this company, his name's Andy. He said something to me that really left a mark. He said, we, we talked about this and, and I thought about the way things were back when I started. And okay, I put out a story in a magazine. People read it, they're educated, and they enjoyed it and want to come back next month. Mm. Okay. You tell a company story, and because the company is able to get out its story, it is able to grow. Mm. People get hired. Those people have families. They support their family. They send their kids to college. And it all comes through this growth and through the telling of the story, which is marketing, which is the reason that you don't cut the marketing budget. <laughs> right. Because it's that growth that fuels the whole company. Right. And as we're talking about this, I'll never forget. He said, Cal, this is not an opportunity. Look, this is an opportunity to you, mm. but it's really an obligation. You have an obligation to do this. Wow. And I, that really took me back. Because w when you get to the bottom of it, right, everything that I was doing, I've watched the magazine world and the newspaper right. world just kind of crumble mm. Yeah, from where it was when I started oh, with it. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would, would doubt that. No. no. And now here I am in a position where I can lift lives yeah and so this is i'm just getting started now <laughs> i don't know where it's gonna take right me, right but i i am noticing that some really smart ceos who listen who are like thinking mm -hmm. the way jack welsh is thinking yeah. or was thinking are recognizing something in me and saying use it and you will be really beneficial mm-hmm and so this is something that every marketer that is listening to this has just when they wake up in the morning. It's their job. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, should I do this? Like, how would this work out? Right. And I'm seeing the benefits. But everybody who's listening is, is really waking up if you're working in a hospital it's your job to tell the story. <laughs> it is. And if you cannot get that story out and make people in that hospital wake up with a bigger sense of mission and a bigger, self and bigger sense of self-confidence because they're not just trying to get through the day mm. doing the best that they can, they're stopping to realize, man, I hold a baby in the palm of my hand every day. And and that's going to be a life that's bringing other lives into the world. Right. Because it was in the palm of my hand. <laughs> that's what a marketer gets a chance to do. That's amazing that you put it that way. You know. Yeah, well, and I guess true. I guess it depends on what you're true. selling. Well, well yeah, yeah. It depends yeah. on what if you're selling some evil shit out there, <laughs> I'm not talking to you. <laughs> But if you're selling the good shit, yeah, yeah. I'm talking to you. 
And it's a reason to wake up every day and to look with fresh eyes at exactly what it is you're putting out to just see how it can benefit people. And so I, I, I have to thank you so much yeah. for this conversation, oh. man, because I am leaving here like <laughs> a, a different person. I, the wall is no longer there, but now like, I'm, I'm going wherever I damn want to go. There you go. <laughs> knowing knowing yeah. that, you know what, that part of me that was instilled when I was 18, mm. it's still there. Yeah. And it's, it's protected. Yeah. There's no way anybody is getting into that. Right. I know what that is. Yeah. And that's your gold. That's my gold. Nobody's getting that yeah. gold. Yeah, that, yeah. that gold is just... It, actually, a lot of people are getting that gold. It's just not being put in a position where it will be lost or used irresponsibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just, that's really about trust and honesty. Yeah. That's what that's about. Yeah. So as long as you have that, you are able to do anything that's good mm. and feel good about it. Nobody's going to make me feel bad for being a marketer. <laughs> I am proud. I'm proud <laughs> to be in front of this microphone and yeah. to see myself as a marketer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's been great. You did a wonderful job. Thanks. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.